0: feel like marketers uh when they're competing for attention from their audience are you know they're competing with uh with cat videos and uh and and other <laughs> other sort of uh you know silly content out there and and this idea you know where the the sort of boundaries of work and and home and play have sort of gone away but that also means people are doing stupid stuff at work and and the idea that um someone is going to quit their their busy day to sit down and read the the 10, you know, white paper uh, or, or PDF that, that doesn't even work on their phone um, is sort of a sort of an asinine proposition.
1: Ground up. Episode 17. When's the last time you sat down to read a 10,000 word PDF? I'll wait. Don't worry, I couldn't really think of one either. Our accessibility to content has never been greater. Text, audio, video, it's all available in our pockets. Brands don't just compete with other brands, they compete with cat videos, social updates of their friends who just had a baby, wedding albums, Instagram stories from John Mayer. Despite this level of accessibility, marketers are still cranking away on content that doesn't fit within this context static PDFs, infographics, or any other content that's not easily consumed or engaging enough to steal our attention away from the latest viral video, misses the opportunity to engage. Saros first launched in 2013 to solve this. They had built a tool to help brands create more interactive and engaging content without the need for development resources, and the market was playing right into their hands. Matt Welschlager has been with Saros since 2014, and since then, he's seen the company achieve 70% year-over-year growth simply due to the amount of content that brands are creating. Even still, it's easy to create a PDF. So what's Sarah's overall mission, and how are they educating the market on the need for more engaging content? That was my first question for Matt.
0: When we talk internally and and sort of uh, n- not on the website, we, we focus on a phrase uh, that we like to use called un- unlocking creativity. So um we we kind of put we, we kind of put that as the as the core of what we're trying to do as we think short term uh, about what we're doing as as well as long term we we want to be um someone that's helping helping marketers and designers and, and maybe someday everybody uh to unlock unlock their creativity um so that revolves around this idea of sort of breaking down the the traditional barriers that that exist um you know in creating web content Right in terms of needing to hire developers, et cetera, to 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 get things out there. So that's sort of the the underlying purpose for us. So creating engaging interactive content is is uh, what the software does today, and and, um, and and what we're trying to to continue to deliver on.
1: So uh, how can it be used? So I guess like to walk through some of the the core functionality of how Seros helps you know everyday marketers be able to create more engaging content.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, so, so the so, so the idea is it's a um, you know it's basically a cloud-based studio um, that's letting these marketers and designers create this this interactive content without any developers. So if you think of you know the process that the most marketers and designers have been through um, to create something interactive, whether it's an entire web page or a portion of the web page, um, you know there's a point at which those assets get handed over to a developer. Right? You're working on them in InDesign or Photoshop, and then and then passing them over to to a developer who then codes it and you go into the review cycle and testing and staging and all of that. When you're using Saros, what happens instead is you drag those assets into the Saros studio. Um, and it's a very familiar interface. It feels like you're in a, in a Photoshop or an InDesign um, except now you can start to play around with interactions. When I click on, Uh, this thing, you know, show, show a different layer, you know, classic example I use is, you know, like an interactive map that you build for, I don't know, an election article or something on the New York times, right? When I, when I mouse over Maryland, show me the, show me the layer that has the the Maryland results on it. This is all something that, um, you know, now is now is accessible and, and doable for, for marketers and designers without needing any developers. So you, um, you bring it into the studio, uh, you select the interactions, the animations, Um, and you press publish, and you've got live content on the web uh, immediately. So we're just sort of um, trying to take that cycle of creation um, and iteration, um, you know, from from weeks down to down to a day or two.
1: And this this might sound self explanatory. But you know, I I feel like marketers have known that the process for creating ebooks or premium content and that kind of stuff has been long, laborious. And I mean, shit for a while now. So why, why, why do you think this has become even more important now? So this ability to to be more engaging, um, and to have more dynamic types of content. Why is that even more important now?
0: Yeah. So I I, I have a um a kind of a stupid saying that uh, most of the team rolls their eyes at when I say it here, but it it's um it's that I you know I feel like marketers uh, when they're competing for attention from their audience are you know they're competing with uh with cat videos and, uh, and, and other, <laughs> other sort of uh, you know, silly content out there. And, and this idea you know, where the, the sort of boundaries of work and, and home and play have sort of gone away, but that also means people are doing stupid stuff at work. And, and the idea that um, someone is going to quit their, their busy day to sit down and read the 10,000-word the um, you know, white paper uh, or, or PDF that, that doesn't even work on their phone um, is sort of a sort of an asinine proposition, so you know I think of it just in the terms of like people are are completely inundated with content and what they respond to is stuff that is fun and engaging and visual um, and, and I think the, the the biggest thing for the traditional path of of the PDF is simply that like no one's no one wants it anymore and and people aren't going to stop what they 're doing to to look at it and sit down for two hours and read it and so you need something that um Conveys those concepts and and can tackle complex issues, but does it in a way that feels feels relevant and visual and modern um, And and is interactive and quickly digestible um, So that you can get your message out there in a way that people feel is uh, You know, like sort of relevant to the way they they ingest content these days
1: I love that and I i'm of the mindset that I don't think people hate to read. I hear that all the time. I've gotten into heated debates with with uh with coworkers in the past when we've worked on projects people people hate reading no they don't hate reading they hate reading things that suck whether <laughs> whether the writing sucks or the format sucks right yeah. and i think um what what saros does really well is it sort of changes our perception of what the presentation can be right um i always have heard nobody likes to read 30 page ebooks you're right Nobody wants to sit there through a static PDF and scroll through, but with with this level of dynamic content and, and, and what Seros offers, uh, it it changes the game, right? And not just eBooks, right? You got it's it's also infographics, microsites, magazines, all that kind of stuff that that you can do with Seros.
0: Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, the um uh to to your first point, I think the idea that um. Uh, the idea that you can you you know you can create sort of multiple levels of uh of content in terms of what people want to dig into but you need a clever a clever user experience to do that so you can create something that's interactive and clickable that people can walk away from without with a high level understanding of the concept but also dig deeper if they do want to if they do want to dive more into those concepts what you don't want to do is sacrifice the sort of uh the sort of shorter attention span people because you want to get you want to get every word in edgewise um and to your second point, yeah, I mean, for we've always kind of struggled to explain this concept because from a, from a perspective of Seros, it's just a studio, and you can create anything you want. Um, from a kind of use case perspective, we we really um, it, it really just is about how you design it and what it feels like, right? At the end of the day, you're you're, you're delivering web content, um, and so you know our clients who use Seros for eBooks. Well, what makes it an eBook? Well, it's sort of horizontally oriented and it has a, has a sort of linear navigation, you know, typically featuring arrows. Um, and when they want to create a microsite, what do they do? Well, they put a menu at the top. It's typically sort of long scroll. Um, there's some navigation involved. Um, when they want to create an infographic, it's a, you know, it's a single page infographic that's usually embedded inside of a blog or somewhere else. And when they want to do things like product launch pages or, or, or stuff that's a little bit down funnel, um, you know, they build it as a single page, you know, from a Sarah's perspective, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's based on the dimensions that you define and what the sort of user perceives it as. But, but yes, when we kind of are trying to simplify it, we say, you know, ebooks, microsites, uh, infographics, uh, you know, one off pages, uh, what we call micro content, which is stuff that you would embed inside of a blog post, et cetera, you know, little interactive widgets, um, pretty much anything you can think of when you're going, wow, I wish that part of my website really did that um, you know, Saris is a great tool to insert there.
1: And you don't want to spend weeks going back and forth, bothering your developers to be able to make it do that. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. We kind of think of it as, um, you know, it's, it's sort of a way to take that fancy content that you see out in the world and think, man, I wish, I wish my company could do that and make it something that you can do. And, and not only that, but that's scalable. Right. So, um, so it's not a big, you know, $50,000, uh, four, four month or, uh, you know, eight week, uh, you know, engagement. It's like, okay, uh, we just got to have a meeting. We've got a really cool product launch coming in a couple of weeks. We want to do a really, um, we want to do a really cool page for it. Um, hey, marketer and designer, can you guys spend, you know, a day or two ideating on this and come up with some concepts? And then once we agree on them, you can uh, you can throw them into Saros and uh, and we can make this thing live in a day. Um, and that's what that's what's really exciting. And then. The other thing is you don't have that sunk cost bias. If you launch it and it doesn't work that well, you can change it really easily, right? Instead of going, well, we spent a lot of money on the agency and, or or you know with with external developers and um you know now now it's built, so we've got to just defend this thing, right? <laughs> right. It's nice if it, if it doesn't
1: work, there. you're probably not going to get the resources next time. And, right. which right. kind of then limits, you know, the marketing team's ability to experiment and and try new things when if it didn't work the first time, we're not going to dedicate those kind of resources to it again. Right. So Saros kind of frees you up, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. That's uh, a, Yeah,
1: that, that's a great benefit. Um, and this is like, so Saros, you know, it, the, the functionality is amazing, beautiful product. How did this all start? It's 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 kind of an interesting story, right? It it wasn't uh, maybe like uh, it, it was used as an internal tool in, in the agency world of kind of like a little accidental genius to how this all came about, right?
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a sort of uh, interesting and, and convoluted story, um, that I'll, that I'll try and, um, try and explain succinctly. But, uh, basically Saros Cer- came about as a result of two, uh, two startups, uh, coming together and, and, and merging, uh, back at the end of, end of 2012. So before that there was a company called Saros. it was, uh, it was run by the, the same CEO as we have today, Simon Berg. Um, and, and that was a a byproduct of something he had built at at his agency. So um, this was an agency that that did um, some some uh, sort of pre production work for uh, for magazines, and so they had basically built a, a proofing tool as a flash based um, page turning tool that let them you know upload the magazine proofs, have it as a as a sort of you know digital asset that they could send to their clients to to look through. Um, and, and sign off on, on what was gonna, what was gonna, you know, eventually get printed. And so, uh, and so when he sold the agency, um, they decided to spin it out with this basic idea of, well, look, marketers are trying to move their content online. Publishers are trying to move their content online. This is something we could use. Only problem, it was flash based. And, um, y- you know, with the, the sort of arrival of the iPad, et cetera, um, as well as the iPhone, flash, um really started to not be a, a sustainable solution. Um, at the same time there was a company called Crowdfusion uh, that was doing some really innovative technology around around CMS systems. They were building some they built some of the early CMS uh, CMSs for TMZ and the daily um, but they were having trouble figuring out how to how to scale the scale the business. A bunch of really, really talented um, engineers. And so one of our uh, one of our VCs, uh, Ian over Greycroft basically said, well look, one of you guys has a, has a a great market vision with sort of a dying technology, and the other guys have great, great technological resource without a, a sort of scalable model. Why don't you guys come together and build something really cool? So they came together in 2012, basically spent the year building the Seros platform as it is today, um, which has nothing to do with Flash. It's all HTML5. Um, they built that out and, and really started selling it um, sort of towards the end of 2013 um, and so yeah it was it's a it's a really interesting story story to me
1: and it really i mean just the the state of marketing and 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 the type of work that marketers were doing really played into the hands of Sarah's right ebooks info i mean all this type of premium content and now we're inundated with it right and so everybody was creating PDFs so this played right into Sarah's hands.
0: Yeah. Although I'll say that probably from a, from a sort of, uh, the wheelhouse of content marketing, um, you know, they were probably a little bit early. Um, so, so one of the, one of the big markets they went after early on was retail actually. So this is, um, you know, think of retailers that want to create kind of cool interactive content on their website. They were playing around with shoppable looks and things like that. And so for the first, uh, you know, most of, uh, for 2013 and most of 2014, um even into early 2015 we, there was a there was an aggressive push to get to get retailers uh you know leveraging the tool and using it and then we we kind of saw there was this opportunity in content marketing we were we were closing deals in the content marketing space in the b2b space um kind of uh um you know kind of on accident as they sort of came through the door and we realized there was this uh this use case for them. And and we you know eventually in the middle of 2015, we just abandoned uh, retail altogether and went after this world of people creating content. And, and even, you know, so, so outside of B2B also just brands that want to create cool stuff, sports teams, um, you know, publishers, um, anyone that's trying to figure out a scalable solution for creating uh, this type of content has been, has been just kind of a great, great space for us. And, And you're right. The, the market has, um, Has sort of come along with it um, which is which has been great
1: yeah this need to create more dynamic content quickly and easily for marketers has sort of spawned i mean seros is it's just stellar example of 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 right place right time but also even a tool uh similar except it's just sort of like graphic design uh canva which which kind of makes it easier for for marketers to to create designs whereas seros is more interactive and dynamic and um, you're seeing a lot more of this stuff pop up, but you guys were early in the market. I've I've heard of sales for for several years now. Um, so, you, so yeah, that's a,
0: it's a great point. I just yeah, I just wanted to add there's there was also this kind of shift. The early phase of marketing content was really about volume, right? It was all about sort of hacking hacking SEO and Google, and so it was just publish, 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 publish. Figure out how to crank out 35 articles a week. Get it out there. Get it out there. And and you know, luckily the, the market. And, and so and that was even the case in 2015 but but in the last certain certainly in the last year if not two you've seen marketers go okay well that's not working anymore we 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 have to create stuff that people actually want um, as opposed to just cranking out words everywhere and hoping that hoping that Google will deliver like, right. visitors to the site.
1: Yeah, volume itself isn't isn't always the answer now, right? Um, yeah. cut, cutting through that is even more important, and that's that's where a tool like this uh, fills in. So so 2013 really the Saros as we know it uh, sort of came about. And when did when did you come on board?
0: So I came on. Uh, they ended up raising so they raised money in I think April of 2014, and then I joined in uh, in September of 14.
1: I assume, how many employees back then when you first joined?
0: I think we were, um, I think we were around fifteen, if not twenty. We had—I uh, was doing the count recently. We had around eight eight people in the in the office in New York, which was you know a shared space. We had a corner corner of a floor, like two desks. Um, and then we and then our product team was remote, so there was another uh, there was another ten or twelve guys on on that team, uh, sort of scattered scattered around the scattered around the the country. Um, and one or two people in the UK to support some of the clients we had over there. But yeah, that was, that was it. Yeah. It was around 20 people.
1: And how big are you guys now employee wise?
0: So we, um, we just celebrated our, our, um, our 100th employee, um, back in December, but I think we're already, we're already above that. Um, so as we're kind of going into 2018, we're, we're ramping again. So I think by the end of the month we'll be at 110 or 120, Wow. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's grown, grown really fast, which is, uh, which is exciting and, uh, and daunting at the same time.
1: Right. That's fun, right? Going through that kind of growth and and especially being there that early and seeing everything evolve and, uh. Oh, it's really
0: fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to say it's, uh, it, like what I love about it is that the problems every quarter are totally different. I mean, like the stuff we're dealing with now has nothing to do with the stuff we were trying to figure out, you know, and q1 of 2015 right so it's like every every year is a whole different ride
1: (laughs) right moving targets all the time makes it makes it a lot more challenging and fun um what can you share in terms of like what what kind of year-over-year growth you guys have seen over the past several years and and even something like average deal size what does that look like
0: yeah so so don't quote me but uh but i I believe for the last three years the the year-over-year growth has been trending around 70 percent Um, so, uh, so that's been really exciting for us. Um, average deal size right now is approaching, is approaching, uh, 40 K. It might be just, just shy of that, maybe 38. Um, which is, which has been great. Even, uh, you know, we have a couple of really big clients, but even with those folks, we started, there, you know, at, at, at 40 K and have, have sort of, uh, expanded from there, you know, just connecting with different teams, showing the value of the initial team that we, that we signed. Um, and that's been, um, that's been great. I mean, the, the average order value, the average deal value used to be, um, used to be a bit lower. It was probably, um, I I think it was around 20 or 24 K a couple of years ago. Um, and that just had to do with us really trying to, really trying to kind of take the shackles off of the pricing model really open it up you know we used to we used to limit the number of experiences you could create you know now it's unlimited content we used to have a bunch of uh sort of feature nickel and diming you know it starts at 24 but if you want this it's another 5k if you want that, it's another 5k so now we've just we've just thrown it all in and, and the nice thing is there's sort of no heckling uh, uh you know when we're, when we're closing a deal because it's all just in there um, and it also means that as new features get released, we're just rolling them out and focusing on making sure the clients adopt them, not on trying to get them to pay more. So it's, I, I think, shifting to the higher price model, but but making sure that we're just giving people everything they want um, has, has been great for us.
1: That's that's great. And yeah, I, I, there, there's, there's plenty of – I've been in plenty of those types of situations where you're trying to determine what that value metric is, right? Yeah. Are we going to price on, you know, number of gigs used or – you know, number of emails tested or, and and if you get it wrong, it, you know, it has pretty big implications. So that's interesting. You guys have opened it up. So what is, what does the pricing model look like?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, um, it starts around, uh, it starts around 36 K it, uh, it, it includes two users and unlimited content. It includes, uh, you know, premium analytics. Uh, we've got integrations, uh, with a bunch of different stuff, uh, Google Analytics, Google Tag Manager, PubSpot, Marketo, um, a few others uh, that I'm forgetting off the top of my head, um, and and so uh, you know, and then obviously things like yeah, uh, um, you know, stuff that we sort of take for granted, but you know, all the content is live, um, so sort of quote unquote hosting is taken care of. Although we make it really easy for you to for you to put that content on your on your own site or, or wherever you want it to live. Um, and, and that's sort of the gist. The other thing we do that's, I guess, worth, um, worth mentioning, um, because I think it was a really, uh, it was a really major accelerator for our growth was we introduced in the middle of 2015, this idea of a pilot. So basically, um, basically with almost all of our clients, I want to say 99% of our clients go through a one month pilot. It's a paid pilot. So we avoided, you know, because we messed around with free trials for a while, and that was a mess. Because you get a bunch of tire kickers who never log in. Um, you know, it's a paid pilot, uh, so it's you know three thousand dollars one month. You get account management, onboarding, training. Um, you know, full all hands on deck uh, to try and make you successful, and it it, it just gives people a, an opportunity to get in the tool, actually create something. Um, if it doesn't. If it doesn't work, they at least, you know, know, or if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out for them or they decide not to become a a subscriber uh, for the year, they at least have a great piece of content to walk away with. But it's also a great opportunity for us to understand what working together is like, uh, what what their content needs are, um, you know, and what it's like to use the tool. But that was a real game changer for us because we kind of went from, you know, promising people in the sales cycle that it was going to be amazing to, to being able to show them what that process was like. Man, um, that, and you must learn a bit lot bit through that time. too
1: like yeah yeah we learned a ton what's uh is there is there a quote-unquote aha moment that you guys have found that you know especially during that those sort of like paid um uh paid trials like when you get to this moment is is when really the value locks in
0: um that's a great uh that's a great question um I don't know if there's an aha moment. You know, there's there's different aha moments for everyone. But yeah, I mean, I think like for the designer, um, for the designer, when they first get in there and start creating stuff, and they kind of get the hang of the tool, when they start messing around with the live preview and realizing like, oh, I can have a live preview on my screen and see exactly how this thing's going to behave when I move it around, that's sort of that sort of WYSIWYG wig moment where they go, wow, this is so cool. I'm I'm in it. I'm creating. Um, is really powerful for them. And and at the same time you know, when they start collaborating with the marketers and the marketers are seeing this stuff in real time, just how quickly uh, the content comes up. I think that's when, that's when people get really, really excited. Um, And then I think the, you know, the, the next sort of challenge aha moment comes during the subscription, which is really when we work with clients to just think about how to operationalize this, you know, which is, has less to do with the tool and just like, what are your handoffs? What are the processes like? You used to get you know, 5,000 words from a freelance writer and plop it into a PDF template and, you know, hit publish. What does the process look like now that you're trying to create, you know, uh, engaging visual content? You know, it's it's not the same process, right? You've got to iterate, you've got to brainstorm, you've got to think visual first, and then how do the words become a part of that? So that's a big sort of thing that happens over the course of the year. But what's really cool is, um, you know, as the clients start to start to really move beyond the initial use case that they bought because the clients always come through the door going well we really want to do a bunch of these things this year whatever that might be you know microsites product launches ebooks whatever as they start to expand beyond that and go oh we can use it for this we can use it for that we can use it for this other thing we didn't think of oh and there's a team over there that's when things get really exciting because you go from you know a client using us for you know one piece a month to all of a sudden the organization's cranking out 30 40 pieces a year Um, that are all interactive, living in different parts of their website, getting sent out by the sales team. Um, That's when things get really exciting, sort of that idea of interactive content at scale.
1: Right. I I can imagine having a WYSIWYG editor in an area that you normally have never had one before, right? Right. That's got to be mind-blowing, right, that first time where you're like, it's not not just code on a page or it's not just a, a Google Doc that you're waiting to see what the visualization looks like. You have much more control over a marketer and creator, so that's that. Yeah, I, I would imagine that's a big eye-opening moment uh, for you. Yeah, users. I mean,
0: if, if, think about how many times you've been on the phone with a developer, going, "Well, like we just need that transition to be a little bit different, or we need that like an- the the words are flying in kind of weird, or the the animation is too fast, or the font's like a little bit too big, you know?" And then like waiting a day to get it back and go no that's not quite right either right versus like
1: (laughs) and the designers hate that feedback too right
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean imagine just being able to mess with it in real time and go you like it like this you like it like that you want to speed it up slow it down what about this what about that it's just cool i mean it's you know it's what you see all the time designers and marketers sitting around the computer messing around and and saros like you know until they till they kind of get it get it where they want it but but it's so nice to not be sending emails and then waiting 24 hours to see whether whether sure. it's going to throw right away
1: real-time collaboration, right? Yeah. So yeah, who were exactly. the who were the early buyers, and has that changed at all to, to who buys now?
0: Yeah. So I think uh, the early buyers definitely focused on retail, um, and and that's changed entirely. We've sort of largely, I wouldn't say we've we boycotted retail, but we've got we've got a lot less retail than we than we used to. We don't proactively reach out to them. We just found the organizations were incredibly complex. Uh, their you know their requirements changed all the time and there were there were a lot of different teams with a lot of different sort of desires right so there was never kind of unilateral alignment on on what they've done i think shifting to you know the people that are focusing on on engagement uh, for the sake of engagement um from sort of b2b marketers to brands to publishers has been has been just a huge transition from us for us um and doing it and doing it in earnest, like when we decided to go away from, from retail, we, we committed to it. <laughs> um, we went in one day and said, all right, nobody, nobody call any retailers anymore. Like we're not doing that anymore. Um, but it took that commitment because otherwise I think, you know, the, the team would have gravitated towards, towards the safe space, um, of what they knew. Um, and, and when we went into those new areas, it's just like, oh, these people are creating lots more content. Um. They're not. They're not focused on, you know, selling dresses in as few clicks and as fast as possible. Um, they're focused on engaging and educating their consumers. This is probably going to be a really good fit, and it was.
1: Right, which must be an easier value prop, right? Because you're not essentially promising sales, and engagement is a lot. Uh, I don't want to say easier, but uh, f- for what the product does too, the, it's it's aimed around increasing engagement, right? I mean, yeah, in- increasing clicks on the page, increasing the type of you know scroll behavior, all these dynamic elements, right? It's it just seems like a a, a much better fit, which obviously could translate into sales. Um, yeah, yeah, but the you're... engagement seems like a a better, like you said, a better fit.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. Right, I mean, I think if if you're gonna if you're going to go all the way down to point of sale, you've really got to make a, you know, it's a bit like doing geometry proofs in middle school, right? You've got to go, well,
1: <laughs> show your work. Yeah,
0: you, you, <laughs> you yeah, exactly. Right. You had better engagement on the site. And so those people that were spending time on the site were clearly clicking through to this product page. And then you saw the people click through from this product page, were adding more to their card and yada, 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 yada. But, um, but you know, that's really hard. And there's a lot of ways for that to, to fall down in execution, right? It's like, you know, even just the way they embed it on their page can, can have a huge role, you know? So like retailers that, that do full page embeds actually have really great experiences with Sarah's, but we had a lot of clients that were dumping it in the middle of a page that had, you know, uh, 250 links on it and finding, well, a lot of people didn't interact with the content. It was like, yeah, you've got a really poorly designed page, um, full, full of ways for people to run away. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think I think the engagement has been, it's like, if you want people to spend more time on the site, then do that. The other thing is, uh, the retailers don't tend to focus as much on lifetime value. So the big obsession with e-commerce is, what happens when someone comes to, to the site today? Can I sell them more stuff? Whereas, you know, when you get into B2B marketing, you get into brands, they're thinking about we want to touch people multiple times. We want people not just spending a lot of time with this piece. We want people coming back. We look at return visits, right? We look at, you know, we cookie people in the CRM. We have a, you know, on the B2B side, right? We have an MQL sort of scoring system and we give people, you know, we give points every time someone comes back. So in that world, having really good content um, and return visits is, is really, really valuable, right? So that that's, you, you're exactly right. It's just an easier conversation to have with the people in those worlds.
1: So the customer mix must be more varied, right? Because creating premium content or or, or creating PDFs and downloadable stuff and infographics and more dynamic websites. That's not unique to any one space, right? And right. there's a ton of brands. I mean, you know, e- e-commerce to to B2B service that that are trying to do this. So the customer mix I would imagine is is much more varied these days.
0: Yeah, so we have we 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 have um Sort of, sort of three, three buckets with an asterisk. Um, you know, one being B two B software, just because, uh, well, B two B in general, um, I should say. Um, so, including professional services, etc. Um, they just create a ton of content, right? And and a lot of it is PDFs, which are which are tough to read on your phone, and they're uncookieable, and and they're just sending out a lot of words to an audience that doesn't necessarily want uh, or have the time to to engage with that as much, um, and so. You know, replacing that content with something like Saros is is really really empowering. Um, so it's sort of bucket one. It's pretty big, but we call it B two B. The next bucket has been publishing. This is really you know online publishers. Um, in an ideal world, they use this both both for editorial and for branded content. But um, but a big majority of us of them are using it for branded content. So you think of you know all that's those sort of cool branded pieces that the New York Times does. Well, they don't use us, but there's all of these other publishers that want to be like that. Right. And they look at a tool like Sarah's and go, well, we can get pretty darn close to that without hiring any developers. And that would be really great because we could, we could sell it for the same amount of money and spend, uh, you know, the quarter of the resources on it. Um, and then the third bucket is sort of like sort of brands net of net of retail. So, so scrape out the e-commerce and the retail brands and look at brands that are, that are trying to engage their audience, but not trying to sell anything um and so uh you know this is anyone that's just trying to educate their audience bring their bring their audience back i think the best sort of use case or sub vertical we have within that has just been sports teams um we sold to a ton of nfl teams because you know every monday they want to they want to recap the game for their audience and they want to do it in a visual way and it's a you know saris is a great way to whip up an interactive infographic that recaps the game without spending any uh dollars on development and just have a reason for your fans to come back to the site and, and look at it. And again, they're not trying to sell anything, but they want the fans coming to the site every week. They know that that, that, that results in more ticket sales and more viewing and, and uh, more merchandise sale, et cetera. Um, but it's not immediately tied to it. They just know they want to engage them every week.
1: Right, you guys have a few examples of the Dallas Cowboys content. Um, if you go to Sarah's website, uh, they have a great section on examples. And uh, you can see some some Dallas Cowboys content in there. Um, not a Cowboys fan myself, but it but it's great. Uh, the the actual content itself is amazing.
0: Yeah. Also the Ravens. Also the Jaguars. <laughs> also the Lions. Uh, there's there's someone in there for everyone.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> um, I'm curious because I used to work for this company uh, called Miss It's an email testing software. And I remember when I first got there, there was a lot of talk about we had a competitor that would literally copy everything we did almost pixel for pixel the type of content the positioning the designs but they would undercut us on price There was a lot of focus on them and i remember i'm bringing this you know and 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 harping on this a lot in marketing meetings is like they they weren't our biggest competitor our biggest competitor was just apathy just people that weren't testing their emails at all didn't think it was important didn't know that it was important um and th- there was a much bigger opportunity in focusing attention on educating people that didn't know why it was important uh and and grabbing that market share than worrying about you know the you know, a competitor so I'm curious about Saros because it it reminds me of of a of similar challenges have you faced challenges uh in marketing and educating the market as to why they should be doing it this way because it's still super easy right to just blast yeah. out a pdf um and not and, and kind of like undervalue the dynamic elements of it right so right. Ha, has your team faced challenges in sort of educating the market on why this is all important
0: yeah i mean yes absolutely um i think you know i think it's getting easier just because this type of content is starting to feel like more of the norm whereas 3 years ago it was sort of like well that's a flashy new toy and no one else is really doing that so i don't need to do that Um, the more and more people see other people's content and other people's websites looking really slick and interactive and, and they go, well, how do we scale that? The more, um, I, I, the easier it gets, but it's still not easy. You know, you've got, I I always sort of say that like when we talk about personas that, that it's, you, you know, you can have two people that look identical on paper, you know, VP of marketing, $200 million B2B software company. Uh, you know yada yada on the education the experience they can be identical on paper the fundamental thing that's going to um, get one person to engage with us versus another is like do they do they do they get it do they buy into the value of quality content um, or or, or not because uh, um, you know regardless of what we put down on paper if they if if they don't get it if they're not into it it's going to be it's going to be a tough sale and i think the, the apathy stuff is um is really huge I, I actually think there's kind of two elements one one has been apathy um and and just sort of status quo like people are trying to to fine-tune the the knobs instead of looking for looking for a big win um and you know that's compounded i think by by just sort of politics at, at companies as well as just the sort of high turnover of marketing hires who are typically at new companies every year and a half or two years um but but yeah, we really, we struggle with people who, you know, uh, wanting or or feeling like, sometimes they, they get it and they just don't want to. They're just like, this is going to be hard and I'm going to have to like get other people <laughs> on board and I don't even know if my boss is like, cares about this. And so I don't really want to put my neck out there. Um, so that's always, that's always tough to hear. Um, but, but like I said, it's, it's gotten easier as the, um, you know, as the status quo is kind of it's kind of elevated.
1: Right, I think the the nature of Saros in general is you guys are kind of ahead, right? You were ahead when yeah. it, when it first came to market and you're sort of ahead now where people are catching up to this where you know the the dynamic content is becoming more commonplace and if you're going to cut through the noise it becomes critically important. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah. Like, Sorry, go ahead. No, so so I was going to say it's it's almost like you in, in some ways a portion of the market will have to catch up right there'll yeah. always be some element of that in some way
0: yeah yeah i think so and i think uh but but i think it's in a it's in a much better place the uh, um the, the other element i was just gonna was gonna nod to which is which is interesting has just been the the huge shift um towards data-driven marketing and towards sort of you know systems and software that focus on data and and those tools are really cool and, and really powerful. Um, but but as a result of it, I think you've gotten sort of very, very data-focused marketing teams in a lot of places that undervalue um that undervalue the, the the value of good creative execution, right? And and you know you will talk to people that are like, no, I've got a I've got a software that just makes landing pages for me, and it just it just creates them, um, and it just throws copy anywhere and sees what converts better. And it's like, yeah, all right, well, it's going to get you one percent uh, lift or two percent lift. But what about what about trying something really really creative? And I think um, y- you know to to some extent you you are seeing this kind of shift back to creativity, and you are seeing. Uh, you know, when you look around and you go, what companies are doing it really well, it's companies that are, that are choosing to to sort of prioritize and invest in the creative side of the, of the marketing business, because, you know, really creative ideas, like there's no, there's no algorithm that's going to tell you that, right? Uh, you've got to try them and just see what lands with your audience to go back to cat videos, right? There was no, before cat videos were a thing, there was no data suggesting that, that cat videos were going to be a thing. Someone just had to try it and it took off. Right.
1: <laughs> right. I think the, the best marketers know the balance between just output and, and why the creativity and uh, the the quality of output matters. Right. I mean, I think you made the point earlier that 10 years ago, just having a blog was huge, right? Uh, The the people that started a blog earlier in 2008 to this day are, are, are probably seeing benefits of that continually that really high traffic. But now you just have to cut through that. And, And like you said, there's a lot of distractions and I actually had, I, I used to uh, I used to have a personal podcast. I had Ryan Holiday on. Uh, he he wrote um, "Trust Me, I'm Lying." Obstacle is the way. Uh, nice. He's written a bunch of books, but he. Uh, on the podcast made this really interesting uh, point that's similar to what you're saying is like people have way too many things distracting them and it's not just other businesses like most businesses think um it's the cat videos it's their friend that had a baby and they're posting about it on facebook like all all of these things on the internet you compete with all of them you don't just compete with your competitors and if and if you want to get found if you want to scale a bit you have to create really high quality stuff which um Uh, a product like seros helps you do so yeah i I thought he was he was spot on and and maybe a little (laughs) maybe a little flagrant in his description but it was uh (laughs) it was a point well taken that it's cat videos are a hell of a lot more attractive than most of the ebooks out there right yeah yeah
0: no it's a it's a great point
1: um so you guys also have a really a really close relationship with hubspot right um i know we we have a lot of HubSpot listeners, we have a lot of partners that that, that uh work with Databox. Um and you can uh and, and this is something I think you guys have had for a while, that you can actually have HubSpot forms right in your Saros designs, but you you're also Saros is also in the partner program as well, right? So talk yeah. about your relationship with Hubspot.
0: Yeah, so um I've got so many things to say about them. Uh you know the big the big sort of love affair with HubSpot started back in the day when we were when we were really tiny we were twenty we were spending a ton of time um, trying to sort through our HubSpot to Salesforce integrations and the the Salesforce instance I had inherited was um, was a bit of a mess and we um, we got convinced pretty early on um, even though we were a little nervous about it to get onto the get onto the HubSpot CRM um, to to use it for our sales team to track deals and to um, you know create a little bit more continuity between the, between the marketing and sales engine. And it worked out really, really well. I was just, uh, constantly astonished at how much easier it was to, to implement stuff in, uh, in the HubSpot CRM versus doing it, doing it in Salesforce. And so from a, from an early era, we were, we were really big fans of it. And what that meant from a marketing perspective was that we could start to do really cool stuff. You know, one of the sort of ancillary benefits of, um, creating content on the web and creating service content versus creating PDFs is, you can put your you can put your cookie in it, right? You can you can track people who um, who viewed it um, inside of HubSpot. You can you can throw other cookies in there. You want a chat widget inside of your ebook? You can do that. And so we created all this really nice integration. Uh, not not integration. That sounds like a like a fancy word. Just like a sort of seamless flow between marketing and our business development reps um, and and our sales team to where uh, you know the marketing we were doing was getting really easily caught by the BDRs and they were able to, to time their outreach to people that were engaged and people who were interacting with the content. And so that was our sort of early love affair. Now, um, has the ability to embed, um, to embed anything inside of the canvas. So, you know, that includes forms from any marketing automation platform to, uh, you know, a YouTube video to a survey monkey, to a Spotify playlist, whatever you want to drop in the canvas, you can, Um, but when we started thinking about uh, what, what we could do to, to kind of take it to the next level, um, and we were HubSpot users, so that that made it easy to pick which one to, to start with. Um, figuring out how to build some integration with the with the HubSpot forms felt like something something really attractive, and so. There's a there's a couple of cool features uh, that that exceed our sort of normal embed. One is just being able to access your forms from right inside the Sarah Studio. You don't have to go and grab an embed code. You just click a little HubSpot icon. It shows you all of your HubSpot forms. Uh, you, gra- you grab the one you want and it, and you throw it onto the canvas. Um, and you can do clever things with it, right? You can have stuff that sits on top of the HubSpot form, you know, interactions that reveal it and things like that. But one of the really really cool things that I fell in love with was um, the ability to to, um, uh, to to have sort of rules around form submission. So, you know, I've always struggled with the, the traditional sort of gated page that drives you to the PDF, because I think it's really lame. We drive tons and tons of traffic there. It's got a 10% conversion rate. Um, so you're just bouncing a ton of people who hate landing pages. And so we, we started experimenting with this idea of Weaving a uh, weaving a form into the ebook experience. So instead of having a gated page, what if like we only showed the gate to people that were into the experience? And what if we waited and showed it to them on the third page or the fourth page of the ebook? So everyone gets some engagement, and it's only the people that are really interacting with the content that we that we ask for information from. And so the HubSpot integration lets you let you, for example, gate subsequent pages. Right. So if you wanted to say Um, I want to lock down pages four, five, and six unless they, you know, unless they fill out the form I can. Um, You don't have to, it's just an option, right? And so it's, it's kind of this idea of destroying the landing page and making the the form and those conversion moments more of a, more of a sort of integrated seamless thing with the content experience instead of this uh, janky, uh, bizarro experience that it is today, which is like a really ugly, Um, poorly designed landing page with an ugly looking form that promises the world to me um, if I fill it out. And sometimes I get a good ebook and sometimes I get a one pager uh, that has no information on it. Right? (laughs) And so it's, you know, it's really disappointing, I think, from a consumer perspective. And um, this enables you to go, hey, check out the ebook. If you like it, you can convert. Uh, If not, you know, move along. And it also just means you can weave it in and sort of clever ways inside of the experience to make it sort of part of the part of the reveal so you know it just goes to that sort of unlocking creativity like what if you could what if you could present a form in in like any way you wanted and experiment with it and do it in clever different ways and see which one works so that's kind of the idea be, behind the um be, behind the form integration and why we why we became a hubspot partner um, and, and then one of the things we've tried to 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 do after that is you know, most of our core business has been has been uh, enterprise focused and 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 you know bigger company focused. Um, and so, with with this integration, we made a really um, we were con- uh, consciously making a really big attempt to connect with HubSpot agencies um, and and figure out how they can use this. This is a really sort of synergistic way to to um, you know serve a market that otherwise wouldn't uh, you know wouldn't be able to afford uh, you know Saros, which is sort of the clients of these HubSpot agencies. So we've got really, really competitive pricing for for HubSpot agencies in particular. Um and and they're also turning out to just be like really great adopters. They get into the tool, they create amazing content, um, they need very they need way less instruction than our than our enterprise clients. Um and they're just kind of taking to it and using it in new ways, which is, you know, really inspirational for us because we just love seeing, you know, cool applications of the product.
1: Yeah, they're gonna take it. They're gonna take it really far. I think that community in general uh, has always been forward-thinking and innovative um, in in getting their clients sort of up those learning curves. And yeah, uh, yeah it, it's a really passionate ecosystem of problem solvers and they yeah, they tend to figure things out quicker than than I think most, uh, including sometimes people that work at the companies that produce the product, which is right. <laughs> which is interesting. They figure out the hacks and they figure out the use cases and sometimes even the messaging and positioning that you should have just from their, their feedback. So uh that that's great. And ju- and just that functionality. Even something as simple as well it's not simple, but gating certain pages of an ebook and giving people essentially like a free trial, right, of of your content. Yeah. stuff like that was always so it just added complexity to a project right when you're working with developers or sometimes it didn't always work and so it was hard to measure the effectiveness of it and hey having having a a place where all that is under the hood um where you can sort of pick and choose the functionality you want that's that's huge have you have you received um feedback from the hubspot community like what, what has that been like so far
0: um yeah it's been it's been it's been great um yeah, you know, the hubspot community is uh is really excited about it i think i think one of the cool things about the hubspot community in general is just they're a pretty innovative group and they love inbound marketing and so uh, combining a tool like ours with access and then integration with the hubspot platform is sort of uh i don't know sort of all all you could ask for in in terms of uh uh, you know wanting to do some cool new stuff and and check it out so the the yeah the the feedback's been phenomenal, especially with the agencies but yeah, we were at inbound this year that was that was really fun um we've we've talked to a bunch of cool people that are that are enjoying it so so fingers crossed so far it's been it's been really good we launched it in uh we launched it in october uh or maybe maybe end of September, so we're about you know four four or five months in um uh, but but very positive so far
1: that's great. And in terms of uh I guess to wrap up, what's what's next for, for Saros and your team? Like what um you know, obviously the the partnerships and, and integrating with HubSpot, but what uh what channels are working for you guys and and just like overall, what's next for Saros?
0: Um yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think um you know from a marketing perspective, what we're focused on right now um is is building uh building some stuff that's that's kind of less Less hyper focused on on conversions and buy our software now, and more focused on the community. Um, so we've launched we've launched a couple cool properties. One is called uh, one is called Seros Inspire, and um, and that's like a like just a curated portal of, of our favorite experiences. And what we've started doing with that is adding um, adding things like templates, adding things like you know if a client or an agency um, wants us to, we can make their experience available for import into the account. And then we're also creating um, all kinds of templates that are available. So if you see something you like, you can bring it into your account. So you're no longer starting from scratch. you're starting from you know a baseline of assets and interactivity um, that you can then uh, that you can then build upon. And we're you know going to think about what else we can do with that to sort of build a community and uh, be able to save things like profiles, etc. Um, the other cool thing we just launched is something called seros Originals. And this is like this is like if you just uh, gave an editorial team, um, you know, Saros as a tool and, um, and they just went to town with it. So, um, you know, we, we basically sunsetted the the traditional Saros blog, which was all about, you know, 10 tips to be a great B2B marketer. Um, and Saros Originals now is just telling all kinds of cool stories, but leveraging Saros in, in, in the way they tell it. So, you know, it's everything from like, uh, you know, what was the visual inspiration for this cool video game to here's a really interesting interactive map of, uh, sort of, extreme weather patterns for 2017 it's all kinds of uh, uh, cool articles that are all over the place but the thing that that really unites them is it's you know a visual storytelling first um, and, and really focused on just kind of reinventing the you know the approach to how we how we explain things and, and using Seros to, to do it so those are the two kind of uh, kind of you know market initiatives that that we're really excited about from a product perspective. Um, we just continue to to add people to the team. And so just just making Seros more and more and more seamless um, to, to play with uh, uh, to play with as a designer, as a marketer, and to make sure that it works with with everything you're using. So I think you know, like I said, we did the HubSpot integration that worked really well. Then we did the marketo. We'll probably do an Eloqua one next and maybe Pardot after that. Um, you know there's a bunch of other other integrations that we're thinking about, focusing on um, you know, just usability um and 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 making sure that whatever our, our clients have ever sort of uh, told us needed to be better that we're that we're doing it. <laughs> um so so yeah, I mean this year should be pretty should be pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, sounds like a full roadmap. I, I love the uh I love the properties, Sarah's originals and and uh, inspiring. I'm definitely gonna check both of those out. Um, Please do. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, this was great, Matt. I learned a lot about Saros. I'm sure our, our our listeners did as well. So thank you so much for, for spending this much time and, and being as open and transparent as you were. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you, John. This was great. I appreciate it.